There's a moment you realize you're ready for what's next in your career. Maybe it's when you're trying a new scone recipe and think, I could open a cafe. Or maybe you're helping a coworker and say, I could teach a course on this. Whatever your moment is, it's never too early to plan for a career that lives longer. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. For skills training, resume tips, and job listings, visit aarp.org slash work. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Welcome to Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. In studio with me, Eugene Merman. Eugene, love having you, man. I love being here. Oh my gosh. Comedian Eugene Merman. Uh, he's here to make fun of all my answers is what's go- what's going to happen. Yeah, uh, this and is- to learn, like you, the listener. <laughs> this is Cosmic Queries edition of Star Talk. This is where we collect all the questions that we accumulate from our, web- our website, startalkradio.net. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On Facebook, Twitter, uh, Twitter, Star yeah. Talk Radio is our handle there, and uh, we get enough on one theme or another. We put them together. So today yeah. is science in movies and other forms of entertainment. Yes, and some people have like genuine questions about it. Others want to know if I anything I can pick apart. But I haven't seen the questions yet. No, and uh, I'm gonna let's start in. Let's just start right in. This Go is about for the it. movie Contact from Danny Davis. Movie Contact, the yeah. story written by Carl Sagan. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. My question comes from the movie Contact, one of my favorites. The problem I'm trying to figure out is the ending when Jodie Foster's character travels in the spaceship and has her experience. But for Earth viewers, the ship instantly falls through like nothing happened. And then it is later revealed that her camera recorded 18 hours of static. Now, from what I understand about relativity, it should have been opposite on earth 18 hours would have would have passed but her camera would have recorded seconds of static please help me put my mind at rest on this query once and for all did the movie get that part wrong or am i missing something Ooh, thank you Danny. this person knows yeah. just enough relativity to just get angry about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah so just to remind people in the film yeah uh jody foster's character visits aliens in another part of the galaxy and does so in an odd sort of rotating mm-hmm. uh, spaceship that never leaves earth and they see her take just seconds and in that time in those few seconds she goes on this journey mm-hmm. and i think the point here is that the fabric of space and time yeah is such that you can warp either space or time or both. And so you can basically travel through a wormhole, get to some destination instantly, mm-hmm. all right? And if you travel fast, that, that you're the, the questioner, oh, who is it? Who is it that asked Danny. 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 It's from where? 
Yeah. Uh, I don't know, but uh, his name is definitely Danny. Okay. He didn't include it. <laughs> so normally, if you're the Albuquerque, one that, if you're the one that goes away, you live for a shorter amount of time than Earth that you've left behind. So Danny is perfectly correct about yeah. that. But these are aliens who gave us instructions how to build a spaceship to do exactly what just happened. So I'm not worried about that relative time dilation. So Danny's right that it would logically work that way unless aliens gave him a plan that he stuck. <laughs> two that work differently <laughs> exactly which is what happened in the film right. you could also imagine that she was not the one who left that it was earth that left that location and then returned i mean and then earth is the one that that lives for the only the few moments and he's the one that lives longer you oh, can imagine aliens controlling space and time in such a way that that's what happens so so in the movie they could have moved the whole planet with that would be hard. Judy. It would be. It would be no hard. No one's saying it's easy, Neil. I am not saying that this is easy. I'm saying that it's no. within possibility Sorry, of what, science fiction. What I mean is that it would be hard not only to physically move the planet, but Earth has to be the one that accelerates away and then mm-hmm. acceler- slows down, stops, and comes back. We would all feel that. You would feel that. <laughs> yes. If we went through a wormhole, we would feel it. No. If we slow down, if we sped up and uh-huh. slow down and stopped. Yeah. We would just fall over and roll roll off the planet because we're not attached to the earth. So not even a little. No, not at all. Not even with not even gravity. <laughs> so we would all fly away. If some yeah. if you could stop the earth. If, if you just stop the earth from yeah. its movement in space or yeah. did adjusted it in some way, yeah. Earth would stop, but we were moving with the earth in orbit around so the sun. So we would just fly very quickly. As you would fly through a dashboard in a car that hits a brick wall and you're not wearing a seatbelt. I really can't believe that like people who do like jump from outer space or bungee jump or any of that haven't tried to stop earth to just go flying that would be a to feel it fun experiment to, to, let's try yeah it. so i'm not worried about that but strictly speaking if she was the one that went away danny's yeah. correct all right yeah. mm-hmm. all right danny good job congrats what else you just you got? got your phd <laughs> okay this is from brendan uh uh, it's about uh, time dilation effects of wormholes. Ooh, In the okay. episode Rimmer World of the comedy Red Dwarf. Yeah, so I, so I missed that episode. But go yeah, on. Well, it's season six, episode five, he writes. Thanks, Brendan. You just wasted our lives. Uh, one of the characters goes from uh, through a wormhole in an escape pod that is accelerating away from the other character's ship into a wormhole to a planet that he would land on. They mentioned time dilation effects of wormholes, and the first one through the wormhole had to wait 557 years before the rest of them caught up to rescue to rescue him. Would that uh, w- how true would phenomena be? How true would phenomena be if uh, the wormhole travel was real? Is yeah, that real? Yeah. I think so the is, uh, is wormhole that. allows you to go to another part of the galaxy uh, quickly much faster than a beam of light would take you there. By yeah. the way, if you can travel through wormholes, it allows backwards through time travel. That's how you would do it. So that, just an FYI on that. If you can travel, you're effectively traveling faster than light. And that oh. allows certain trajectories through the fabric of space and time. Are you, you saying can, sliders is pretty real? <laughs> if, they, if they can manage the wormhole part. So <laughs> uh, so the, the point there is the wormholes, if you're accelerating through the wormhole and you're moving fast, mm-hmm. uh, you would not age very much at all. And mm-hmm. you come out the other side, everyone else is aging a long time. Right. But if someone else comes through a wormhole right after you, no, you don't wait 500 years for them. No. No, they'd just be right there too. No, no yeah, just come. They, You're both using the same thing. So it'd be about a minute. Uh, yeah, whatever, whatever. And and the wormhole could be arbitrarily short time for you. Right. Depending on how warped 
the space is or how, how tight the hole is between one right. section of the galaxy and the next. Wait, in fact, this thing that he's describing, he should have just said in the first reboot of Star Trek, there was a wormhole. <laughs> you don't need to go into season six, episode five of Red Dwarf. This is literally the plot of the first Star Trek. To have a conversation about wormholes, you don't need to be that specific in your science fiction And you can pick a much broader... I mean, ex- yeah, anyway, so so that, so same thing about the Star Trek, you wouldn't... Yeah, so so uh, the point is, if you're all going in together or immediately after one another, yeah, yeah. yeah you're good to go. 15 minutes apart, 15 yeah, yeah, minutes. Don't yeah, don't even, don't worry about it. Nice. Yeah. All right. Yeah. On Facebook, Robert Millard, this is his thing. I promise I had this thought before I saw Men in Black. We believe you, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> you liar. No one. Yeah, okay. Uh, it seems that matter is basically mass and energy swirling around each other. The same could be said for solar systems. Is it possible our solar system is an atom or the Milky Way is a molecule? That was a deep thought uh-huh. 100 and, yeah, yeah. 110 years ago. People, yeah, yeah. as we started probing the structure of the atom, we looked at it and say, oh, there's a nucleus, there's yeah, electrons, yeah. and they're orbiting around. Maybe that's just a mini. But there are no cats, <laughs> and there's no cows and farms and buildings. <laughs> when we come back, I will give the answer to why atoms are not solar systems. You're listening to Star Talk Radio, Cosmic Queries Edition. back on Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm an astrophysicist, and my day job is as director of the Hayden Planetarium at the American Museum of Natural History in New York. Check us out. Yes. Eugene, do you have a day job? Uh, I mean, I mean, I... <laughs> I think as much as you, I guess you have a thing that you would call your day job, but it probably what, blends into some of your nighttime work. And too. the thing you call a day job, your, your voice on Bob's. Bob, yeah, Bob's Burgers, Bob's I Burgers. guess, love, would love, be. Love yeah. to know that. Excellent. Uh, so we're in the Cosmic Queries edition. Yeah, so someone had asked. Science and movies, right. And yeah. So where do we leave off? Basically, right. they were like, is our solar system an atom or is the Milky Way a molecule? Yeah, and these are great questions, uh, deep yeah. questions that were asked about 120 yeah, years yeah. ago. He's about 120 right. years late in right, asking this. Right around when Hashish first reached. <laughs> Boston. <laughs> um, interesting. You have the date for that. So here's the problem. The yeah. problem. When we discovered atoms and that there's a nucleus and, and electrons, we say, hey, that looks like a solar system. Yeah. I wonder if inside an atom, there's yet another atom and yeah, another yeah. atom. And this is an episode of Mork and Mindy, but yeah. It turns out that the laws of physics that describe what goes on in a solar system mm-hmm. are different from the laws of physics that describe what goes on in an atom. And so the conduct of matter and energy is mm-hmm. completely different in these two regimes. Really? And, and because of it, as as you mentioned before the break, no, within atoms, you don't have cats. You know, you, right. don't, you don't have yeah. this, bulletin boards. <laughs> this stuff that does not happen inside of atoms right. that happens macroscopically. Right. So the microscopic world and macroscopic. So the, macroscop- the macroscopic world responds to what we call classical physics, mm-hmm. right? And the microscopic world responds to quantum physics. Quantum physics actually applies to the whole universe, but on large enough scale, it looks like classical physics and the equations are easier. So we just use it, right. use those modes to describe it. So no, it's not just the Russian egg, the Russian dolls. The nesting dolls. The nesting Matryoshki. dolls. Uh, all, that's how you say that? Matryoshki, yeah. M- Matryoshki. Very good. Says you my, and I should go to Moscow <laughs> now. Matryoshki dolls. So no, it's... 
it's just not that. But it would yeah. have been a really cool philosophical uh, uh, yeah. revelation. So there's no life inside of an atom or molecule. None not, that we not, know not. of or that we would have ever defined as such. That's right. correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay, next question. All right, what else you got? Oh, I have a lot. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Brian has a question. And he's from where? Brian Hodgson. No one here is telling us where they're from. Okay. I think they're afraid we're going to find them <laughs> and help them learn. Uh, if you were an astronaut tumbling through space like in the movie Gravity, could you change your rotation or trajectory, say, through twisting your body? Thank you. Love the show, Brian. <laughs> uh, no. No? Unless, you, unless you're in contact with some other thing mm-hmm. or unless you lose mass. If you do not lose mass or come in contact with anything else, you will tumble in that same way at that same speed Wait, but you, forever. But you actually will lose mass in the sense that you'll grow hungry and die. Uh, uh, it depends. You Well, okay. Thirsty? You can, be better? That's a really slow – as people who have tried to lose weight will attest, yeah, yeah. that is a slow way to lose – there are much faster ways to lose mass. Yeah, yeah like, but if you're tumbling through space and you don't have access to any restaurants or anything. <laughs> no, what you can do is if you open up certain hatches of your spacesuit, mm-hmm. you could like – pee in one direction or another this will send your mass out another direction opposite presumably the way you're tumbling and you don't want to go that will slow you down so i do like the idea of someone spinning and peeing and then just they would just they'd spin and spin in in the other direction (laughs) they'd still spin so you'd have to know some angular angular momentum physics before you when when about to say started peeing or spitting or pooping or 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 do you Any, think that's the end of gravity is just someone peeing themselves back I, to Earth? I'm just saying. Oh, by the way, you can't be inside the suit. It has to actually leave your body oh, of course, of into course. space, right? Yeah, yeah. If you do this, you can then control to some level the, your your wayward trajectory. This is no different. Would you die – like say you open the suit, there'd be – your skin wouldn't be able to contact – you would oh it's just a vacuum i mean yeah it's not it won't be comfortable but you can do it temporarily in order oh, really? to adjust your oh yeah for how long a couple few minutes oh really yeah. that sounds great yeah and now way- i have a new goal tumble <laughs> through space for a few minutes no suit <laughs> so so the, the point is that when you lose if you look at spacecraft when they make adjustments mm-hmm. if they're in free open space they're little sort of what they call these uh, nozzles mm-hmm. these rocket nozzles that are strategically positioned around the body of the ship yeah. to make it rotate one direction or another to change the attitude, the angle, the, yeah. or to slow down or to speed up. It is losing mass okay. by the act of burning fuel that sends gases out in one direction or another. Oh, wow. Yeah. So anything that comes up, burp, any other yeah. flatulent activity. I understand. Okay. <laughs> yes. That all the things that are funny to children become the way you survive tumbling through space. Exactly. Is what you're saying. Every bodily function that you're not supposed to discuss exactly. during the day in school, you need to survive to fly back to the earth. Yes. Sounds like a plan. Mm -hmm. All right, here we go. This is a question from Robbie. Uh, Oh, and he's at the University of Michigan. He didn't mind telling us where he was. Excellent. Here's his question. So he could be a student or a professor. We'll find out. It's true. Mm -hmm. Well, depending on how good his question is, we'll know. (laughs) Or an administrator. He used a lot of uh, exclamation points. He's probably a student. Um, (laughs) Oh, the OMGs and exclamation points? Right, okay. Yeah. While at home, I was watching Futurama, and during the episode, the characters land on an alien world that had three suns. It left me wondering what would happen if there was a second or third star in our solar system, either in orbit around our sun or fighting with it to become the center of the solar system. Thank you, and thanks for the show. So here's the problem. If you start throwing extra suns in the middle of your star system, depends on how far away your planetary orbit is. Mm -hmm. If... 
you're not far enough away from all of them. Mm-hmm. Let's say, let's, say, let's say it's a triple star system. Sure. Do, do one up on the, what they showed in Star Wars. So let's have a triple star system. If you're not really far away from all three. What's considered really far, like Jupiter? Or uh, much much further? farther than any one of them are from each other. Uh-huh. Okay, so it's a relative statement. So you want to be far enough away so that all three stars feel like one source of gravity to you. I see. If you're too close and one is over to the left and one is over to the right, your gravitational allegiance becomes complicated constantly compromised Mm -hmm. who am i orbiting today oh it's this star not that one and you'll become really close to one star and far from another your climate would be all to hell because you wouldn't sustain a stable um, temperature environment and we you can do models on a computer to show what happens to these orbits and most of them are unstable right the a, a star will either fall a planet will either fall into a star or be ejected from the star system altogether so uh, but it would be fine if you simply were so far away that that they felt like one they felt like one yeah. and they did it right in star wars where yeah. they had the double sunset if you remember mm-hmm. that scene those were far enough away from the planet yeah. that the planet is really only seeing one sort of collective the gravitational that, yeah. the, and and so that's the problem that you have here but otherwise it'd be really cool it would also be cool if the stars were different colors and and, uh, and then you'd have a yeah. As one star set, the color of your sky would change. You know what are the what are some of the? Oh, you options? can have red stars, yeah. uh, white stars, blue stars. You don't have green stars though. Why not? You want me to get into? I can't get into that now. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Finally stumped with green stars. Ah, oh, it's exhausting. There's no green in space. <laughs> no, there's green in space. There's just no green stars. There's plenty of green. Why? Are, no. Now awesome you have to tell green. me why there's no green stars. Finally, okay. I went to a real piece of science, and you're like, no. Okay, fine. There's actually green emissions from gas clouds uh-huh. in space. Mm-hmm. And we looked at it, and we looked at its spectra. We didn't know what it was. And we, as my, my historical brethren yeah. in the field that I study, and in fact, it was named of nebulae, and it was called nebulium. Mm-hmm. This green this green light in space, nebulium, that was a placeholder until we actually figured out what it was. We figured out it's actually oxygen behaving in ways that we've never been able to reproduce in the laboratory. Oh, wow. Under the under the rarefied vacuum of space, oxygen behaves badly or oh. goodly, depending on how you want to look it's at it. It's a green cloud that's it, coming for us. <laughs> it's so it it emits a beautiful green light. And if you're if you're angstrom fluent, it's five thousand and seven angstroms on yeah. on the on the scale. So you can have green light coming from gas clouds, but stars because they're giving off a whole spectrum of light. Green is this narrow part in the middle of the spectrum, right. and when you puddle together all the light. But you can you can lean towards the red side of the because it's not a primary color. Well, because red, orange, yellow, green, blue, violet—that yeah. whole spectrum—it yeah. either leans to the blue side, it leans to the red, or it gives about the same of each, and that'll give you a blue star, red star, or a white star. You're not going to get a green star. All right, that's why. All right, uh, here I'll ask. Uh, here, one more one question. Can we fl- oh, you've got about a minute left. Yeah, go for yeah. it. Uh huh. Okay, a minute left in this segment. But go. yeah, yeah, this is from Harrison Bizzlefizzle. It is. Uh, dear Neil deGrasse Tyson and funny person, how can <laughs> one fly a kite? Good for you. I watched Mary Poppins recently, and it got me thinking, if one had a long enough string, how high could a kite possibly go if the kite and string were made of a sturdy enough material? Could it go up through the atmosphere, up where the air is clear? Anyway, it goes on. Oh, let's go fly a kite. I love that question, especially since I also love that song. I love corny Broadway songs. So what you need is enough updraft to keep the the kite afloat against the weight of the string that's Mm -hmm. pulling down the kite. 
Yeah. All right. We got to think. Don't forget that. Yeah. And let me pick up on this answer when we come back Ooh. to Star Talk Cosmic Queries Edition Science in the Movies. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. We're back. Star Talk Radio. Neil Tyson here. So kites. What, uh, uh, and, and like Eugene Merman, th- again, thanks for doing yes. this. Yeah, great question we left before the break about how high up can a kite go. Uh, brought a, th- a thought brought on by watching Mary Poppins. Mm-hmm. And by the way, at the end of Mary Poppins, where they're all flying kites, yeah. uh, all kite string angles are the same. Mm-hmm. As they're all standing there, I just want to make note of that. Uh, that would be true if all the kites are high, flying at about the same height, and then the wind is the same for everybody. And so they they did that accurately. So mm-hmm. I want to commend the Mary Poppins creators of the movie for accurately dis, uh, <laughs> presenting the kites. <laughs> the kites. Oh, good. Um, all right. So, so how high up can it go? So you have yeah. to watch out because the higher the kite goes, holding wind currents aside mm-hmm. for the moment, the higher the kite goes, the more string is dangling beneath it. Mm-hmm. You reach a point where the weight of the string rivals the weight of the kite. Mm-hmm. Not only the weight of the kite, but even the updraft buoyancy of the kite. And when that happens, the string becomes a burden to the kite, and the kite will not continue to ascend. That's a problem. So, okay. but what? So your but your kite could be one mile long. Yeah, if you had a really huge kite. Yeah. Oh yeah. A, a, a super kite. Oh my gosh! You take it up to the stratosphere. Oh my then, gosh. Yeah. Okay. So say you have a one mile. Yeah. The long... problem is in this in the stratosphere. Yeah. What wind happens? speeds are about a hundred. Several hundred miles an hour. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds like a su- super fun kite ride. <laughs> so basically, if you had that a mile really long kite, keep, keep your kite tied it there. to your foot, got it up there, you would just fly. <laughs> so it'd be fun, but temporary. Yeah, it's transferred a little higher than a mile up, but yeah. 
yeah, no, I mean the the sorry, the kite itself, the 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 one square mile would be the size of a physical kite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and you, uh, yeah, you can put that up really high. Yeah. Okay, good. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I now have a new uh, summer project. <laughs> and by the way, it's a good way to think about physics problems. Is mm-hmm. w- compare one thing going on to the other, and mm-hmm. you don't even have to get a number. You don't have to be numerical about it. Right. How high can the kite go? As high as the weight of the kite versus the weight of the string. You know, you just right. think about so it. Traditional in those terms. kites wouldn't be enough, no. but uh, no. super kite that you and I made. In fact, if you try it with your kite, you will see there's a point where the string starts getting saggy yeah. compared with the ability of the kite to keep it buoyant. And the kite just gets farther away from you rather than higher up. <laughs> I feel like you would like win a kite contest. Like if there <laughs> no. was one and someone had to build one, I would definitely put you on my team. All right. Here's a question. I was going to skip it because it's long, but because it's Buck Rogers and that's something I love. I'm okay. just going to ask it. Um, watching an episode of Buck Rogers from, oh, this is uh, Ray, by the way. Ray Bamer. All right. Watching an episode of Buck Rogers from 1979, Tweaky is missing. The subplot was transferring 10 million tons of frozen oxygen from space to the North Pole, where it would melt and replenish the oxygen-depleted atmosphere of the planet. The, quote, Spaceberg has to hit a window in our atmosphere exactly or be ignited by friction and scorch a third to a half of the planet. My questions. One, would an an injection of frozen oxygen or anything from space help earth and b could a spaceberg of oxygen scorch the earth okay so so a so, couple of things yeah uh, first a uh, berg actually german for mountain so yeah. it'd just be a o- oxygen berg yeah right? uh, yeah yeah uh but spaceberg would be a mountain of space if you want to really oh, totally analyze this i will let whoever wrote buck rogers know that they have made some <laughs> terrible word mistakes no iceberg is a properly named object it's yeah, a yeah, ma- yeah. it's a mountain it's an ice berg. mountain yeah so the so here's the thing uh earth is, has no shortage of oxygen at the moment we just have right. too much carbon dioxide we right. don't have a shortage of oxygen uh if you wanted to just simply add oxygen to the atmosphere yeah. what will happen is fires that are ignited will mm-hmm. not burn out as easily as they might today oh because oxygen feeds fires right right so let's say we have twice as much oxygen as we do today and a lightning strikes a leaf and ordinarily, the leaf would just sort of ignite, but then mm-hmm. fizzle away. Not with more oxygen in the atmosphere. It would totally come to flames. It would catch to another leaf, and you would burn forest okay. like it was nobody's business. So, so a spaceberg made of oxygen <laughs> is what you would describe as a very bad idea. That would be a bad idea unless we're actually, for some reason, losing our oxygen and you have to replenish it. Right. And what we're gaining is carbon dioxide. We're not losing oxygen. It's two different Correct. Things. Now, we have plenty of water. We don't need to bring oxygen from space. Water is what uh, chemically hydrogen and oxygen h2o yeah, yeah. so you just what's you, you break the, the hydrogen away from the oxygen you got free oxygen right you don't have to go to space so that's for easy it. yeah so maybe the, the, the buck rogers writers didn't know this yeah plus oxygen itself is not flammable it only allows other things to burn right so when they say don't smoke near oxygen tanks you're not going to burn the oxygen tank the oxygen tank is going to burn you right okay you light a cigarette the cigarette burns instantly and then the the flame, the spark hits your finger, then it yeah. burns your skin, and yeah. then it burns and your clothes. Okay, you, if you would explode. Yeah, and this is how we lost three three astronauts in Apollo One. Oh, really? It was a pure oxygen atmosphere inside their capsule on the launch pad, on a practice launch pad, as they were testing communications and other things, and, and a decide- spark 
inside the spacecraft triggered and everything burned inside the spacecraft. Oh, okay. Yes. But they didn't like light a cigarette. They weren't no, no, no. they were foolish. not smoking astronauts. Yeah, yeah. Well, right. you said that's what happened and then you were and then but now right, I realize sorry. it's a spark. No, it's good. All right. What okay. else you got? Here's a question from uh, Alex Robinson about the Death Star. In Ooh. in the movie Star Wars, thanks for clarifying. <laughs> we see the Death Star blow up the planet uh Alderaan. Uh set it what Oh, uh, setting aside the question of how a thing uh, would be possible, what would happen to our solar system if the empire blew up, say, Mars? Yeah, so that's a great question. So it's, it's really simple. First, how would you want to go about blowing up a planet? Yeah. What you can do is look at what's holding the planet together. There's mm-hmm. all the gravity. Yeah. And there's all the, all the uh, tensile strength of all the solid matter mm-hmm. that is the planet. Yeah. And when we come back, I'll tell you how to blow up that planet. Yeah. <laughs> Star Talk Radio Cosmic Queries Edition. We'll be right back. Eugene Merman with me in studio live in New York. Eugene. Hello. Yeah, you're reading me questions. I'd never seen any of these questions before, and we no. left off. Somebody wants to, like, blow up Mars. Yeah, yeah. Someone's basically like, if the Death Star tr- blew up Mars, how? what's a good way to blow up Mars? Yeah, how yeah. How do you do that? What would it do to our solar system? Okay, so here's how to blow something up. You ask yourself how much energy is keeping it together. Mm-hmm. Then you put more than that amount of energy into the object. Mm-hmm. It will explode. Period. So- so more than whatever, so more than the gravitational. Yeah. So you find out, you can calculate that. That's physics 102. Right. Not physics 101. 102. Yeah. Is how to blow up Mars. <laughs> no. That's a pretty, <laughs> that's a quite an accelerated <laughs> sciences class. So you calculate what's called the binding energy of the planet. Mm-hmm. All right. And it's a gravitational binding. It's, it's gravity keeps mm-hmm. it together. You want to overcome the gravity that's holding it together. Calculate that. How much energy is it? Now you have a device that can pump that energy into your planet mm-hmm. and have that planet absorb the energy rather than have the energy come out the other side, it will completely destroy the planet to smithereens uh-huh. entirely. So that's how one would go about it. If you did it to Mars, uh, we'd lose our Curiosity rover that's fine discovering science there but, now. But it wouldn't affect us that much. I would affect our rover. No, no, of course we would. Excuse me. I mean, I mean our physical well-being, not our mental, emotional, and knowledge (laughs) well-being. We we will continue to orbit the sun, and Mars will have essentially no effect on us. Will uh, will parts of it land here, and then will will people then gain powers? There will be Mars debris scattered all over the solar system. Mars debris will land everywhere. Yes. Okay. Eventually, it'll land everywhere. And would it uh, radiate kids and make them powerful? No, because Mars is not radioactive. So, all right. Oh, well, well, at least we get some of it. Okay, here's another question from Sar. Uh, planetary death in the movies. Oh, wait, I can, wait, can I back up for a minute? Yeah. When you make a snowball, yes. how much How much effort did it take to make a snowball? Well, not much, right? Not, not much. Not much at all. And then you throw it at the wall. Yeah. It explodes on the wall. Yeah. You don't think of it as an explosion. I do. But it doesn't bounce off the wall. Right. It completely shatters on the wall. Yes. That's an example of the energy of motion of the ball, mm-hmm. of the snowball, being greater than the energy that's holding it together in the first place. Yes. And so you explode a snowball snowball by throwing it into a wall i would love to throw mars into a wall (laughs) and watch it just go everywhere and not irradiate anyone there you go okay planetary death in movies uh which is the most scientifically accurate death destruction of a planet you've seen on the big screen (laughs) 
<laughs> How many? I guess. Okay, uh, so two things. Uh, the Death Star planet, if it can pump the right amount of energy into a planet, it will blow up a planet just the way it's shown. Yeah. Okay? With all debris scattered. That was pretty space. accurate. That was That's accurate. probably the most scientifically accurate part of Star Wars. That was accurate. Now that in, and Yoda. Now, now in the red matter uh, droplet uh, yeah. in Star Trek, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek, yeah. uh, that one holding aside... The unlikeliness of red matter. Red matter, hold that aside. Hold it, hold it, yeah. If you turn a planet into a black hole, it would become a black hole just the way they, essentially the way they showed it. So that's it. sort of accurate. It, it's, it implodes into Ass- itself. Assuming that uh, red matter creates tiny black holes, that is a great plan. Exactly. But would you need to drill it into the center? No, you just that's put it not what you want to go to. Don't get me started. Oh, sorry. Yeah, oh, yeah. boy. Okay. Once the, once the red matter is into the surface at all, mm-hmm. it won't know that it's at the center. How is it going to know? It's at the center of planet. Has no idea. Well, yeah, no, they don't. They don't make it seem like this is the red matter's plan. <laughs> they definitely make it seem like a Romulan idea. But Romulans, what do they know, right? Exactly. Um, right, what else? And then got? the other deaths of planets. Superman. I guess the new Superman it implodes, and in the old one it explodes. No, no. Uh, yeah. Well, it just it's destroyed from within yeah, because yeah. they that's they, more realistic. They over no. they overmined the planet. Yeah. So here's here are people who have superpowers and super everything, and they don't know that they're overmining their own planet. I don't know. You know can you think of any analogies? <laughs> and they can send the baby Superman Moses style on a basket. Yeah, you yeah. Know, a spaceship. You know. So anyhow, yeah, that could happen if you if are you, you are you telling me that Superman is unrealistic <laughs> you can you can destabilize a planet if you make make swiss cheese out of its innards okay that's clear but but i like the star wars destruction just that's good the, old a, good old-fashioned planetary explosion put some energy into it you blow it, it up mm-hmm. all right here's a question crowdsourcing science from ryan labee with the popularity of crowdsourcing kickstarter indiegogo why haven't scientists taken to the internet in the same way why can't we get a mission say to mars by crowdsourcing true science geeks who would love to support in a big way if veronica mars can do it so can the real mars yeah i think the problem is well there are two things there's using the internet and having people participate in data reduction. That's a sort of another sort of mm-hmm. efficient way. And then getting people to sort of contribute to make a mission happen. Space is expensive. Far more expensive than your laboratory science experiment. That's right. all. It's a matter of scale. It's billions of dollars. Billions right, right. and billions of dollars. So you, Not three million. Right. So if you want to create the budget to do real space things, it's not millions, it's billions. And it's a whole other scale. That's why. Got to take a break. When we come back, more of Star Talk's Cosmic Queries edition. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. We're back on Star Talk Radio Cosmic Queries Edition. This, the last segment, we traditionally have our lightning round because I take so much damn time answering all the other questions. Yeah. The other questions are so involved and tell you the episode and what and what made them think of it. So lightning round, I, I'm going to pretend I'm in soundbite mode and we'll test our bell. 
There we go. Okay. Eugene, you're here for me. Yes, I am. Let's do it. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. Eric, he's got a question. Could an alien species consist of only thought or energy, nothing we would recognize as body or mass? I don't see why not, except, oh, by the way, mass is energy. Energy is mass. So I can Mm -hmm. imagine an alien species that is energy. I can imagine it. Like a pound of energy. I can allow my brain to accept the possibility Uh of it. I don't know how to portray it. I don't know. But- since matter impossible. and energy are equivalent, I think we're, we're good here. Okay. The okay? uh, problem is energy, it's hard to create form out of energy. When energy becomes matter, you can make molecules and mm-hmm. things and objects and brains and this sort of thing. Without it, it's amorphous. And it might be harder to make amorphous life than material life. Next. Okay. Could you could you eat it, though? Could you eat a, <laughs> an, a being made of energy? Uh, okay. Acceleration. Actually, since... The only point of humans eating is yeah. to give ourselves energy and nourishment. Yeah. If there is an alien that is made of energy, you wouldn't have to eat it. You just have to absorb it. Okay. Great. Good. <laughs> I'm on it. Acceleration of uh, expansion of space to see. Uh, that's the – okay, Justin, this is his question. Is the expansion of space accelerating? If so, will that acceleration reach the speed of light? If so, what happens when it reaches the speed of light? It, it's accelerating, and over time, it will one day exceed the speed of light, which it can do because it's expanding space, not objects moving through space. Mm-hmm. This is allowed by Einstein's general theory of relativity, published Great. in 19. 19- 16 by Albert Einstein. And in so doing, as the universe expands faster than the speed of light, the objects that it puts beyond that horizon Mm -hmm. will forever then be visible from your view. So the very distant future, all galaxies will accelerate beyond your visible horizon and the nighttime sky beyond our galaxy will go dark. Uh Uh-oh. And our entire known universe will just be the stars in our nighttime sky. Sounds fine. It's still pretty far. And and all that we know of and what we call cosmology will no longer exist because there'll be no information about the rest of the universe other than the stars that are sitting in front of our nose. Oh. Next. Okay. Justin wants to know, lunar, lunar terraforming, if we terraform the moon, would nights be darker due to the lost surface re- reflectivity? Oh. Uh, yeah. Almost anything you do to the moon will make it reflect more. Oh, really? The moon is one of the worst reflecting. The moon reflects. Even adding skyscrapers? The, the moon reflects like a sidewall tire. The, the moon is a, is like I forgot. Then it's like five percent reflects low single digit reflective. The what most, if we covered like, it in mirrors? Would that be helpful? What would happen to the Earth? So, for example, Earth, which has oceans and yeah. land and clouds, Earth is like ten times more reflective than the Moon is. Oh wow! And so the Moon is is a bad. Ref- it's like dark. Yeah. It's just so much it's light like pouring. It's as reflective as a pancake. Yeah. Well, no, it's it's as reflective as the surface of an iron skillet. Oh. Okay, so anything you put there is going to make it more reflective if wow. you want to I can't even believe we can see it because of how non-reflective iron skillets well, it's are. Well, it's because how bright the sun is. The sun is very, happens. very bright. Exactly. So when you do this, if you want to terraform it, you will make the full moon brighter at night. Oh, really? Next. Great. All right. If the universe is expanding, can we use the direction of expansion to determine the center of the universe, a.k.a. where the Big Bang occurred? It is expanding in every direction. Therefore, there is no center. Oh. And uh, the best analogy I can think of is if you inflate a balloon, everybody on the surface of that balloon is expanding. Yeah. But you can say, where's the center of the surface of that balloon? Where's the center of Earth's surface? If it's a balloon shaped like a rabbit, well, (laughs) now you're assuming it's harder. Yeah. So there's certain geometries where there Mm -hmm. is no center, even though it can be expanding and the universe is one such shape great Next. what is the minimum size for something to be labeled a planet and why is it that 
Kepler-37b, which is only a fraction larger than Pluto, has been labeled as an uh, exoplanet while Pluto was demoted to a dwarf planet. Yeah, so a couple of things. In the, in the 2006 definition of a planet, it has to be large enough for its gravity to make it a sphere. Pluto checks out on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kepler checks out on that. Fine. Yeah. But it also has to be significant enough with its gravitational attraction to have cleaned out its environment in which it orbits. Mm-hmm. And Pluto has done no such thing. It what orbits is- in the Kuiper belt of other icy oh. bodies in the outer solar system. Pluto, dwarf planet, Kepler planet, real planet. There yeah. you go. So you just get over that. So so Kepler is not covered in ice. Uh, no, in it an could, icy belt. You could be covered in ice, but it, we don't. Surrounding you. Yes, exactly. Next. Okay. Quick. Uh, if a quasar of a. <laughs> Lightning round. Go. Yeah. Stars in its distance. Uh, if a quasar or a star is billions of light years away, how do we calculate that distance if light takes billions of years to reach us? Ooh, because the universe is older than that, and mm-hmm. we've waited around for it to get here, and it finally got here, and the light that reaches us is light that left that quasar back at the beginning of the universe. So the stuff that sent us light that hasn't gotten here yet, we don't see those objects. But we will. We will eventually, as the universe gets older, yes. those objects, we will see them being born. Yes! They will rise up out of the firmament of the cosmos and their light will show up to us and we'll say there's an object being born now that the universe and our cosmic horizon has enveloped their existence and the universe is old enough for its light to reach us we gotta go Mm -hmm. thanks Eugene for being part of Cosmic Queries you've been listening to Star Talk Radio I'm your host Neil deGrasse Tyson thanks always to Eugene Merman who does such a great job with me as always I bid you to keep looking up 